Hello! Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of the Mildly Interesting Podcast. If you like the stuff that we do, please do give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as well. I believe we have a Facebook page. Uh, Facebook page. I keep most of the social medias up to date. Uh, You will be seeing some tweets from me, I guess, while we're recording this relatively soon because uh, I have been... I have done a funny and not been able to access the accounts, but it's cool. We fixed it. Uh, uh, but yes, give us a follow on those. Subscribe and hit that bell on YouTube so you know when we post. And also give us a follow. Rate us on Spotify as well. Get Turn your notifications on for our podcast so you know when episodes drop. Uh, we also have a website. Uh, mildly-interesting.co.uk we have some articles up on there that Santos has written, uh, the experienced journalist amongst us, and also all That's the episodes me. are posted up there. Uh, but I believe, without further ado, I am Akash Lush. And I'm Jean Santos. And this is Mildly Interesting. Seriously, just smiley interesting. How are we doing today, Santos? I'm doing good. I'm really tired, but I suppose that's what <laughs> you'd expect. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it seems that, you know, everyone's been working hard. Uh, talking about working hard <laughs> in the possibly the top position in the country. Uh, Rishi Sunak has been... <laughs> the Prime Minister of Britain, for about less than two weeks now and has already made some sweeping statements uh, which have kind of framed how his prime ministerial uh, tenure, I guess you would say, is going to play out. Uh, Rishi Sunak is following on the heels of Liz Truss after she was... um, after she resigned because of a disastrous mini-budget, just after, I think, less than 50 days of being Prime Minister. So Rishi Sunak is Britain's third Prime Minister this year, which is kind of ridiculous that I'm even getting to say that sentence. But um, I think a lot of people are now looking towards him to see what, what does he bring to the table? What kind of Prime Minister is he going to be? So Santos, what do we what do we know about our fairly new Prime Minister Rishi Sunak? Alright, so first things first, uh I just I just want to say something really quick. Uh obviously this is the fourth prime minister in four years. That means that an average of one prime minister a year uh we're running at the moment. Um but also I just want to point out something before we start even talking about this. <laughs> I I have um Sort of, of a funny um, stat for you. Did you know, by the time that um, Liz Trust stepped away from power, her approval ratings were lower than Putin's. So, that's... That's... Uh, Hi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's bad. That's bad. 
Yeah, so she had low approval rating, uh, ratings in Putin's, and that uh, that just made me crack up when I saw it. Jesus Christ, yeah. Anyway, um, Sunak, yeah, um, I think we can expect him to sort of like to be the return to normal of uh, British politics, right? Um, we kind of expected it from Truss when she first got into power, which is really weird. Uh, but now I think we can just expect Sunak to be a bit a bit more moderate in what he does, even though that he, he still has those uh, Tory tendencies, um, so to speak. Um, for instance, since taking off since taking office, he has already pledged to essentially <laughs> build on the failure of trust and try to revert everything she did, essentially. Um, but we also are probably going to see him being way more lenient than you might expect from, uh, Sunak, just because obviously, uh, the Tories are still coming back from Truss's government, which means that their approval ratings are absolutely terrible. Um, so you will probably see a more like middle ground Sunak, uh, just as they try to sort of like build up that confidence again. For instance, we've seen since he took office that he went back on a policy to cut maternity leave. That's one of the things he did. Uh, he also scrapped his own plan to control immigration, which he talked about during um, the short race uh, for his pr premiership. Um, so he's essentially making it more approachable, uh, more affordable and more legal, <laughs> I suppose you could say. Um and on latest developments uh, on COP27, which, by the way, he wasn't supposed to attend uh, or he didn't want to attend, but he was kind of forced into it uh, with pressure from the public, essentially. Uh, he's also urged countries to move faster on renewables, which is something that we don't really see um, from Tories all that much. Uh, whether that's just blank statements, uh, that just remains to be seen. They probably are. Uh, obviously, we did... Um, cover COP26 when it happened, and <laughs> since then what happened was absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, what is interesting though, I think, is the fact that since he took office, obviously the markets have recovered quite a bit, uh, which is not really surprising considering the state of that they were in uh, before he left. Uh, but also is the, the, the confidence on the Tory party has increased. So current polls still have uh, the Labour winning on a 25-point majority, I think, uh, is, is the latest thing I've seen. Uh, but it was way bigger uh, before he, he got into power. With, and it's just steadily increasing. So we might see uh, Sunak sort of approach um, Labour in the, in the next two years. Uh but yeah, what about you, Akash? What do you think we should expect from him? And do you think he can pull the Tories back from the slump that Trust left mm. him in? It's, it's very interesting because usually you can make a judgment on a politician based on the on their supporters or the people they surround themselves with or the people that they throw their support behind. And a person of great contention 
in government that uh, Rishi Sunak has supported and has in turn supported him is Suela uh, Braverman. Um, if that name sounds familiar, that's because Suela Braverman was forced to resign uh, a week roughly before uh, Liz Truss resigned. Uh, and she was uh, forced to resign over mis- ministerial code breaches, which involved sharing government documents from her private email. Uh, from the contents of the email, uh, the investigation states, it was clear that this was a deliberate act, and yet she wasn't sacked, and her security clearance wasn't even revoked. Uh, she was just told to resign. Uh, Jake Barry, who serves as party chairman under Liz Truss, but was fired under Mr. Stunex, stated that there has been multiple breaches of the ministerial code. Um, however, one of Sunak's first, uh, I guess, directives or orders as prime minister was to reinstate uh, Suela Braverman as home secretary. Um, who knows why? Um, it might certainly have nothing to do with the fact that two days prior to this decision, Miss Braverman had thrown her support behind Sunak in the contest to replace mistrust and that she is an influential figure on the far right or just the general right of the conservative party so it seems as though sunak is making alliances within his party including those on the right maybe deemed by you know, some as traditional conservatives, if that makes sense. Um, But it's, like you said, it does seem as though he's trying to be the middle person for now. He's trying to appease all sides, as we have seen some quote-unquote liberal policies. Um, He, one of his first major moves was to reinstate the ban on fracking or hydraulic uh, fracturing, which um, is the act of drilling into the earth, uh, directing high-pressure mixture of water, sand, and chemicals to release gas inside the earth, like earth rocks within the earth's layers. Um, it's a fossil fuel, and so he's reinstated the ban, uh, and it's seen as a sort of win for um, climate change activists and sort of just um, environment, like sort of renewable energy and environmental protections um but there there are he also said that he won he promised a vaccine style task force to tackle nhs backlogs saying this issue would be one of his top priorities uh he previously said he planned to expand the network of specialist surgical centers uh and community diagnostic hubs in order to eliminate one-year NHS waiting times and to get overall numbers failing by next year. So he's tackled environmental uh, sort of um, environmental protection and he's tackled N- the NHS, two sort of big issues for the UK public. Um, but if you scratch beneath the surface, uh, there are some things he's done that are questionable and i think what was it that you said santos i i really like the phrasing you had tory tendencies um yeah so so, so that's the kind of policy that you expect from tories uh, sorry, just in general really we are see uh from what he said before he has previously taken hardline stances against immigration um 
I think the scrapped plan that you were talking about that he proposed was a cap on the number of refugees accepted each year and withholding aid from poor countries that refuse to take back failed asylum seekers. Uh, but he's also gone around and promised a narrower definition on who qualifies for asylum compared to that offered by the European Convention on Human Rights. And he has also reiterated his support for the government's controversial Rwanda asylum policy, saying he would do whatever it takes to get it up and running. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, the Rwanda asylum uh, policy or plan was a highly controversial piece of legislation where uh, refugees that came to England uh, and who failed to meet the qualifications for asylum or refugee status would be sent to Rwanda to kind of set up life there. Um, and it was highly criticized as Rwanda, for lack of, <laughs> to, put, to put it lightly, has a very mixed uh, track record with uh, human rights. And... That's that's, uh, how, that's as good as you can put it as well. Like there's there's no better way to say it. Um, but yes, and um, Mr. Sunak also voted leave, uh, and has vowed to fast track the ripping of EU rules in the previous leadership races. Uh, he promised to scrap or reform all EU law or bureaucracy still on the statute book by the time of the next general election and have initial recommendations on whether each law stays or goes within a hundred days. So with, with Sunak, it seems to be for now, it seems to be a mixed bag for every sort of policy that appeases sort of the general, pu the general public. Uh, he's also promised to in, he he said he was ready to deploy a few billion pounds to help struggling households. Um, so with every policy that sort of helps the public, benefits the environment, seems more liberal, um, you know, uh, economic help for the lower classes, for every liberal policy, let's say, there seems to be a hardline conservative policy that pairs with it. So I... It's going to be very interesting uh, to to keep uh, to see what he does next, or at least what he does during his prime ministerial reign, if you can call it that. Yeah, and also we 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 have to mention, I think, the the fact that on the seventeenth of November, so that's about a week from when we're recording this podcast, um, Sunak is expected to announce um, his fiscal statement. So to announce his, uh, his plans for the economy, essentially. And pretty much every report I've heard about this has predicted that he would raise um, taxes and decrease public spending. So that's essentially austerity. And we all know how popular austerity is with the public. And obviously the, the narrative for, for the Tories will be that they had to do this. There was no other way. And in, in a sense, you know, it's kind of true because obviously the way um, trust left the economy in means that essentially the there was like the damage that she did was just that significant. Uh, so it's it's not a surprise that he will probably uh, decrease um, decrease public spending, decrease taxes. Um, 
but it won't go well with the public. And the economy, I think, at least for now, considering uh, that the Bank of England said that this could be the longest recession since the 1930s, is going to be, the, the battle is going to be on the economy, right? It's going to be the main point uh, for the next few years and probably the main point um, in 2025, in January 2025, when the uh, next general election comes up. So until then, I think, I see what you're trying to say that he's probably going to uh, move into more conservative ideas uh, as his uh, premiership goes on. But I think that his premiership will be sort of decorated by just middle ground because he wants those voters back, right? He wants to keep those uh, Tory voters, uh, but he wants to recapture the most important part, which is uh, those in the middle, those that you know, either vote Labour or vote Conservative, depending on um, how the last premiership has gone, right? And what gives hope to the Tories, I think, is the fact that Labour historically is not trusted by the public when it comes to the economy, right? So if the battle is fought on the economy and... Labor, ju labor just goes back to not being trusted in that sense. It is, I don't want to say likely, I don't want to say possible, but it, th there is a slight chance that, you know, the Tories can actually uh, reach up to labor once again, maybe, I think. Um, but again, the, 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 the lead is too great, so unless there's like a big scandal, I don't think. Um, the Tories can really go back, at least for the next general election. Now, uh, on from talking about potentially bad decisions to talking about actual bad decisions that have already been made. Uh, we like to call this segment, Why Hollywood Why? Where both me and Santos bring a movie to the table that we both that will just kind of make you question what was what was going through people's heads when they gave this the green light. So, uh, Santos, why don't you start us off? What what movie have you brought for our dissecting, if you will? Right, I'm really I'm really glad you said the word dissecting. That's that's just honestly just given me that um, transition transition on a platter. I'm going to talk about the movie Boxing Alina. So that's a 1993 movie. Have you seen it by any chance? No, I don't think I have. Right. So I will read you the IMDb um, sort, of, sort of like hypnosis for the movie. So this is how it goes, word for word. A surgeon becomes obsessed with the seductive woman he once was in an affair, in an affair with, uh, refusing to accept that she has moved on. He amputates her limbs and holds her captive in his mansion. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's that. That's the uh, word for word hypnosis by MDB. Um, I, oh, is that? Yeah, is that it? Th that's <laughs> is it. That the whole movie. Uh, that's essentially it. Yeah, uh, I will give you a bit more detail. A few more details. So essentially, he uh, once had an affair with the, with this lady. Um, and he couldn't move on from her, right? This is a right. it's a good surgeon. Uh, he 
he has a girlfriend, by the way. Her name is Anne, uh, who also happens to be okay. the doctor, and is the opposite okay. of Helena, which is the girl, she, um, the the woman he had an affair with. So okay. he goes to confront her. He, he he cannot move on, so he goes to confront her, and he essentially wants her back. Uh, as they're talking, okay. they are hit by a car, or she's hit by a car. That's what the movie makes it out to be. Uh, so he operates on her. And then okay. proceeds to lock her in his uh, mansion and proceeds to cut off her arms and legs so she can't move, essentially. Right? Jesus. Now, at some point throughout the movie, uh, Nick, mm. who is a surgeon, uh, is doing some exercises, jumping rope, and he starts imagining his mother naked. Uh, telling him that he's done a very bad thing. Right? Okay. <laughs> uh, right. So anyway, fast forward uh, into essentially the last part of the movie and spoilers alert for those of you who are really keen on uh, watching this. I wouldn't recommend it, but if... Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but spoilers... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for this. a fan of this movie. Um, so essentially... Uh, Helena somehow manages to speak to someone uh, and this guy comes and beats Nick up, right? Now, once he gets beat up, uh, the movie ends essentially with the biggest twist of all time, which is it was all fake, right? So... Nick wakes up Aww, in the hospital. <laughs> he wakes up in the hospital and it was all a dream. Uh, they did get it by a car, but she was operated by someone else and she got, you know, she got out of the of the hospital and he essentially dreamed all this thing up while he was being operated as well. Once he wakes up, uh, he embraces a Venus statue which means that he's embracing his mother, which also okay. means he's embracing Helena. And this, by the way, this is a true sort of, um, sort of um, take away from the movie. This is how some people perceive the movie. Um, right. And the, the way they wrote it, this one review was um, <laughs> that he's embracing the Venus statue, which is his mother, which in turn is Helena. Because that's okay. the only real thing that he can really possess because the statue has no complaints, no feelings, and no life of its own. <laughs> that's... Uh, yeah. Anyway. Don't think that's one to watch with the family. Oh, no. I, I would probably not watch it with the kids. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, God. How about you, Akash? What, what's, your, uh, what's your movie? All right. Mine, mine may sound like a cop-out, right. but I really want to talk about this movie because I've watched it recently and I didn't realize how, f- one, funny it was, two, well-written it was, and three, batshit insane it was. Right. right. It's the Simpsons movie from 2007, I think? 2008. What a classic. What a classic. 2008. Have you seen this? I have seen the movie, yes. But go on. Yes. The Simpsons movie from 2008, which, not to freak everyone out, but that was 
Oh my god, I can't even do math. That was 14 years ago. Yeah. Yes, that was 14 years ago, which upsets me dearly. But <laughs> um, the movie... How do I even describe this movie? The why Hollywood why aspect of this movie isn't why it was made. It was the writing. Like, the movie opens with Homer Simpson calling everyone in the movie theater a dumbass, including the people watching the Simpsons movie. Like, that, the movie opens with that. And then the next scene... <laughs> the, like, climax of the next scene is Green Day dying, which is completely... What? Green Day is in the movie, and they die. Because in a Titanic style, like, they're barge on the lake gets eaten by pollution and they get like uh they sink and then they all play violins um there's just so much about that movie that's so weird you see bart's spoiler alert you see bart's dick you see bart's dick in that movie nice where like homer homer is like homer and bart are like daring each other to do stuff and then homer dares bart to like skateboard naked to crusty burger and back and there's this gag where like as bart's skating across the screen there's always something covering his penis until the very end where it's like a hedge missing there's a hedge with the middle missing so you only see his penis i don't know what was on the writers mind they j- yeah it happened um, it's also really weird the fact but, that if you think about it, he's a kid. Uh, yeah, but sure. very questionable. <laughs> but I think, yeah, no, it's also the one of the main plot points in the movie is that, and otherwise the rest of the movie wouldn't really happen. One of the main plot points in the movie is that Homer signed his pig crap silo. Like, his pig crap his silo yes you heard it right people silo of pig crap um oh no he he signed it saying if lost return to homer simpson and that causes the whole town to honestly i could not start to imagine i could not start to explain most of this movie you have to watch it for yourself it's the jokes are well written and extremely relevant to this day which is like very which is like very like i don't know it's one of those movies that like it has some questionable actions but most of it is kind of timeless i do recommend everyone watches it i'm trying to think of any more weird moments off the top of my head um it was so long ago that i watched that movie as well so i couldn't i can't really remember that well but i i remember very well that uh, that bart um skateboarding um gag it was it yeah, there, there there are certainly a lot of uh, moments in that movie that are, uh, you you just kind uh, of it's I, I'm I'm kind of sad I didn't pick up on them when when I watched it and then a few um, years ago I watched it again and it was like wow just wow just wow. <laughs> So there's no real. Uh, <laughs> I can think of a nice segue from uh, Bart skateboarding naked uh, into what we're about to talk about. <laughs> so we're just gonna st- go straight for it. Uh, we're moving on to Ukraine to the to the conflict in Ukraine, and 
essentially the short summary of what's happening is that Ukraine is fighting back steadily, getting territories uh, in some places and losing territories in others, uh, while essentially Putin flexes his nuclear muscles every time anyone says anything about uh, Ukraine winning sort of like the military fight. Uh, so I don't mean to make light of, light of what's happening. Um, obviously, there the intricacies to this conflict are endless, but it's just that's not really what we're going to talk about today. Instead, we want to talk about how the US, uh, especially the Democratic Party, is somewhat undermining Ukraine's um, sovereignty. Or, or at least that's the kind of read that I have on some of the latest news that we've got uh, coming from there. Um, I gosh, what am I talking about? Obviously, we've discussed this. Like, what am I talking about? So, uh, leading up to the midterms, a group of left-wing Democrats in the U.S. Congress uh, had, were sort of addressed a letter to the White House, uh, but has later withdrew, withdrew it. Um, but the letter called for a negotiated settlement to the war in Ukraine. Uh, Chairwoman Pramila uh, Jayapal said it was drafted months ago and that staff released it without it being vetted, whatever that means. Um, the memo actually sparked intra-party backlash before the U.S. midterm elections. So the letter to the White House, which was made public on Monday and was signed in June by 30 of President uh, Joe Biden's fellow Democrats in the House of Representatives, um, called for the U.S. to negotiate directly with Russia in and kind of cutting out Ukraine. Um, not only does this seem to undermine uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian efforts for its own sovereignty and to end this war with Russia on their terms, but it also seems to undermine the Biden administration, um, which has repeatedly said that Moscow is not interested in diplomacy. Uh, White House officials said in a response that diplomacy is only possible when all sides are prepared to negotiate, and that is currently not the case. Um, I think it would be good to clarify what the midterms are. Uh, the midterms are a, 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 a sort of a, a, a general election, but not really. Uh, the midterms are to elect new members of Congress, the 535 people representing the public who work together to make laws, use public money, um, and investigate issues. So the Congress, the U.S. Congress is made out of two uh, houses, so to speak. Uh, it's the Senate, uh, who represent the state interests, the state governments, and the House of Representatives, who are responsible for rep representing the local population. Uh, the midterms are called the midterms because they typically take place in the middle of a president's four-year term of office. So, Congress, it, so the midterms are for the re-election of Congress members, and the Congress is currently controlled by the Democrats. But the Republicans only need to win five extra seats in the House and only one extra in the Senate to get a majority. So these are very hotly contested midterms. And it's very interesting that uh, this letter was quote-unquote leaked uh, right before the midterms, uh, as it, it did cause chaos within 
the uh, Democratic Party, specifically between the Biden administration, who has made it clear they want nothing, they don't want diplomacy with Russia because it's simply not an option. And it seems like members of the Democratic members of the House of Representatives who seem to want a fast end to this war. Um, the Progressive Caucus said the message was being misconstrued misconstrued as aligned with a growing reluctance in the Republican Party to keep sending aid to Kiev. Uh, Miss Jayapal, a Washington State Congresswoman, said on Tuesday that she still supported an end to the war with diplomacy, uh, but she said the timing of their letter's release meant it had been conflated with Republican opposition. Uh, the Republican Party, uh, kind of the cons more conservative members of American politics, kind of, you know, uh, less on federal spending, more on state spending. So this, the aid that America's sending to uh, Ukraine, which is in the billions, um, is kind of opposed by the uh, small members of the Republican Party. Uh, Republican Congressman Kevin McCarthy warned earlier in October that if his party takes control in November, that there will be no quote-unquote blank check for Ukraine. Yeah, so um, here's... Okay, so I, I, I'm going to tell you the read that I've got on this, and, and you tell me if it's... What do you think of it, okay? So I think it's not surprising that Republicans um, have already started to raise eyebrows to the level of aid that is being sent to Ukraine on a regular basis, right? Um, and chunks of the population have either forgotten what is going on or are starting to get fed up with aid being sent while there are so many problems uh, at home. Uh, this is not surprising. Uh, you know, it, it makes sense, kind of, right? You, to, to, to the Americans, the, the Ukraine conflict is something that's happening so far away. And if probably if it weren't for uh, the public support of so many people, it wouldn't even have gotten to this stage where Ukraine is actually able to fight back, right? I think Putin is counting on that. Is counting on the fact that people forget about it, kind of on, on on the fact that people are less willing to help Ukraine, right? So, in light of this, what I think is the the Democrats are try are trying to speed up the process. They're trying to speed up the war, um, especially when it comes to that to the Democrats, um, to, to to the more pro progressive side of the Democrats. I think because obviously ahead of the midterms, and by the way, once the midterms end uh, in America, that's essentially when the build-up for the next election, election starts, right? Um, so at the end of the midterms, most forecasts have it that the Republic Republicans are going to take over the Senate and whatnot, right? They don't have many seats to win, and it's kind of a tradition now that the uh, incumbent... Um, no, not the incumbent president, but the, the president seating in the midterms, if they do have uh, sort of full power, let's say, um, it will sort of get more balance as, as the opposite opposition party rises a little bit more. So what I think is, the Democrats know that their voters expect them to help Ukraine, right? So if they want to appeal to their voters, they have to support the bills that essentially help Ukraine. 
So the more the war goes on, the more the more aid they will be forced to support, and the more aid they are forced to support throughout the years, uh, the more the the less likely they are to capture those who are in the middle, those who you know maybe they want to help Ukraine, but at the same time they're struggling to buy groceries, and therefore they were they are they might change their vote from Democrat to Republican. So it's in their interest to speed up the war so that um, when the build-up to the election starts, um, the war is kind of a thing of the past, or at least it's in its later stages, it's sort of resoluted, um, and they have time to recapture those voters, those middle voters, those purple states, as they call it in America, um, with other sort of topics for for instance abortion uh and you know economic wise because that's going to be one of the big um topics so that's the read i've got on the on the situation tell me Akash, am i getting do you think i'm getting this entirely wrong or like what do you think of all of this tell me what do you think it's very it's very interesting because it come this comes at a time where it seems as though there is a divide in both the Democrats and the Republicans. And I think this letter being leaked has only... I think it's quite a coincidence that as rifts have begun to appear in the Republican Party about whether to help Ukraine or not, uh, this letter was so-called leaked, uh, which made the Democrats also look to be a bit split on the issue. Uh, it's just happy little coincidence, let's say. But um, with the Republicans, it's more of a... It's more of a very f- traditional American problem of whether to export freedom or not. Um, so America has already donated uh, an assistance package of which is worth 52 billion US dollars, which is twice as much as all other countries combined. And military experts and the Ukrainian government said that this support has been vital to their mission. Um, So some Republicans, like you said, have been questioning its merits. Uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley said that Ukraine aid is not in America's interests, and this allows Europe to freeload. Um... However, Mike Pence, their previous vice president, uh, harshly condemned Putin, so-called apologists, and members of his own party that would, quote-unquote, have us disengaged with the wider world. Um, Senator Republican leader, uh, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell has even called on the White House to step up assistance to Ukraine, saying the U.S. needs to do more to supply the tools Ukraine needs to thwart Russian aggression. However, Notably, even though we're seeing cracks in the Republicans and cracks in the Democrats, um, notably, uh, only Republicans voted against a $40 million aid package to Ukraine in the spring. Um, So, it suggests that, in general, the Republican Party are the ones that house uh, those skeptical to... Ukrainian aid and the Democrats 
it seems more of their left-leaning uh, lawmakers, such as AOC, uh, sort of more, the more socialist side of the party, are trying to redirect or call for a slow end to Ukrainian aid uh, in order to spend it in other sectors of the US economy. Um, though, this might all be a political bargaining tool, uh, as polls do suggest that public support is still high for Ukraine, uh, even though there are signs that it has softened up uh, as the war drags on. Uh, last month, 20% of Americans said the US is providing too much help, so roughly one-fifth of Americans, which was up from 12% in May and 7% in March. Um, so it really does seem that the, I think I, you've already mentioned this, but it really does seem as though there are divides in the parties as to sort of which side of public support to rally behind, whether it's those that believe that uh, you know America's uh, the average American is struggling with bills that is is as it is where did this 40 53 mil billion dollars come from to help another country or if it's to those who believe that if we don't help with Ukraine now then it's we're going to have to deal with the consequences of Russian aggression tomorrow mm -hmm. um but I think I think the the takeaway message for me is that uh, it's very interesting that as Republicans seem divided, um, this letter got suddenly leaked without being vetted. Uh, so and the Democrats now seem divided as well. I think I'm not suggesting foul play. I'm just saying it seems like a happy coincidence for the Republican Party that now the Democrats seem as divided as they are when the midterms are coming up. Yeah, and uh, I think we can both agree on that. Like, obviously, we you need Ukraine at the uh, negotiating table, right? It's vital for its future, and it's also vital for how conflict is handled um, going forward, and obviously in other countries. Like, it could be that if the US gets involved on a more personal level, the war comes to an end quicker, but obviously you don't want the US promising concessions, to like, especially territorial concessions, um, instead, of, uh, instead of Ukraine, right? You don't, you don't want them to speak for them simply because they will, first of all, discredit Ukraine uh, and it will discredit America as well because, you know, it, it kind of makes it almost too involved and that's ammunition that can be used by Putin as well. So it, it's really vital that you have Ukraine there on negotiating table and you don't have Russia negotiating directly with uh, the US because I think that it's... The US is supposed to be the middleman here, I think. Um, because if they're not, then they might as well just send soldiers to the borders, right? Yeah. I th yeah, I think... I think the real question here is no matter if the Republicans or Democrats get in to get control of Congress um, this November, the real question is how 
far is America gonna America? Like, how much intervening and defending freedom and democracy are they gonna do? And that concludes another episode of Mildly Interesting. As always, we hope you were mildly interested. Uh, if you were, do give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I usually post stuff, keep up to dates, make a meme of our fumbles, like the fact that I have been locked out of the accounts and haven't been able to post my episode for a week now. I apologize. <laughs> Please do not flame me. Uh, go check out our website. It's mildly-interesting.co.uk. Santos has some great uh, pieces of journalistic art up on there. Uh, and it's, we have all the episodes up on there as well. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit that bell so you get notified when we update. And as well as follow us on Spotify, rate the podcast, and get your notifications on so you know when we drop a fresh, hot new episode. But uh, without further ado, I have been Akash Lush. And I was John Sands. And this was mildly interesting. <laughs>